Life Christian Centre is a church located in the city of Adelaide. It is made up of people from different backgrounds and walks of life who have been transformed through a relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us online at www.life-church.com.au We've had some great speakers over the last few weeks uh, here at church and this morning's no exception. We have Dr. Alan Meyer uh, with us. Uh, He's not a stranger to our church, part of our family. And um, uh, for those that don't know uh, Dr. Alan Meyer, he and his wife pastored Careforce Church in Melbourne for many years, church that grew to over 2,500 people. Uh, He and his wife also uh, oversee Careforce Life Keys. It's a bunch of courses uh, that are being used in churches, not only in Australia, but all over the world. Uh, Courses like Valiant Man, uh, Search for Life, and mastering your money that Adrian referred to, and a whole bunch of others. We've been benefiting, benefiting from the ministry and from the work uh, that they've certainly done there in the church. I said before, he's married uh, to Helen, and uh, four children, 12 grandchildren, and just a great guy. Of all the weekends, though, to get him, this was the worst weekend of all. I mean, first of all, it's the beginning of AFL, AFL season, and then, and then, and then, of all, of all, of all the teams the Crows would be playing, which one? Hawthorne. <laughs> and dear Alan is a very, very strong Hawthorne supporter, and and he's not very humble either when it comes to football. He's not. Um, Alan's an amazing communicator. I know we're going to be blessed. I know that God is going to speak to us through the ministry today. Would you give him a really, really big, warm welcome? Come on, as he comes to share. <laughs> for inviting me to come so humbly to the platform today. <laughs> and uh, I will uh, not be mentioning the football. <clears throat> I was over here this weekend for uh, two things. I did a Mastering Your Money seminar up at Mount Barker on Friday night and Saturday, and then I went to the football. <laughs> um, but I won't be mentioning the football <laughs> because we're here to serve the Lord. And uh, it wouldn't be right to be focusing on the football. <laughs> So I will not be mentioning the football <laughs> at all, even one time. No, thank you. Did I mention the football? Oh, sorry, Joe. What a privilege to come over to Adelaide this weekend. What a joy. What a pleasure. And at the very end of the match, oh, did I mention that? Um, I was at the match yesterday. And at the end, there's a very big screen right opposite me, and it said... Thank you for coming to Adelaide. We hope you enjoyed your experience. I took a photograph of that. I put it up on on Facebook and said, I did. I did enjoy it. Thank you so much for asking. So good. But we won't be talking about the football. So we'll, we'll press straight on into much more important things. I want to talk to you about a conversation that changed my life. I grew up going to church. My mum and my dad were both believers. They were foundation members of the Box Hill Lutheran Church. I was born about one month uh, from the time that that church was founded. 
And I grew up in the home of a dad who was a school teacher, and all I ever wanted to do was to be a school teacher. Went off to university, uh, won a scholarship uh, from the education department, and uh, I was in university training to become an economics and commerce teacher. Um, and I was having a fantastic life. Um, I had a pretty girlfriend, I had a car, I had money in my bank from my scholarship, I had a rifle, I had some golf clubs, um, I was doing full-time billiards and golf and a little part-time economics and politics on the side, <laughs> and absolutely loving my life. Um, I went to church one Sunday morning, and a guy preached a sermon on hell, and it deeply, deeply shook me up. Uh, I spent the next four days trying to figure out how Christian I was prepared to be, because I was a believer. I was in church every Sunday, and I cannot remember a time when I didn't simply believe that the gospel and the Bible were true. In the midst of that week, God called me into ministry, and it, it just I felt like God had ruined my life. The last thing in the world I wanted to be was a minister. I wanted to be a high school teacher. And as a result, I found it just such a deeply, deeply distressing experience. And over the next uh, couple of years, it was like living a nightmare. I felt like I was trapped. How do you know that it's really God? Um, and, and if it is God I have, I, and, and I have to do it, I just don't want to. I don't want to do it. And that call would come and go. God would leave me alone for a little while and he'd come and remind me that he was calling me into being a minister. And during those times, it was so distressing, um, I could have almost had a nervous breakdown. I was in the library one day studying for an education, uh, uh, history of educational thought exam. And I was so disturbed by this sense of God's call on my life, I just couldn't think straight. I couldn't read, I couldn't study, and uh, I, I, I was so desperate, I made a decision to go to the religious centre and try to kind of do what? I don't know. I never went to the religious centre. That wasn't part of my life. I went to the billiard centre, but not the religious centre. There was a Lutheran service on that lunchtime and I thought, well, I'll, I'll, I'll try to get God off my back. I'll, if I do a little religion and go to the service, maybe God will leave me alone for a few hours and I'll be able to study for my exam. So I went off to the, to the, the religious centre and I did that Lutheran lunchtime service and it was, meaning, it was meaningless to me. But as at, the end, at the end of that uh, little service, everybody dissipated, except for me, I sat there miserable and a guy sat beside me. It turned out to be a young Baptist man. His, uh, he was studying. I think he might have been one year ahead of me uh, in his studies. His name was Graham Willard Turton. He went to the local Baptist church, and for some reason, I don't understand why, I began to share with him my life. It's an interesting thing. It's one th very important thing to know about people. Often people, Christians, feel inadequate about witnessing. They feel inadequate about sharing their faith. The reality is you don't need to do much except just don't go away and have a conversation with people. Let them unburden their heart. Because the Bible says out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And if you sit beside a person who's ready to hear about Jesus and you just don't go away and you let a conversation develop, they'll just pour it out for you. They'll open up. You won't have to say, well, I, I go to church and I, I've got to do three witnesses this week and you're the first one. <laughs> Are you ready? 
if you were to die tonight and God said, why should I let you into my heaven, what would you say? You know, not everybody's up for that kind of discussion. But if you just don't go away. And I just sat next to the guy as he ate his lunch and I just unburdened my heart. And I said to him, I can't think straight. You know, I'm trying to study for an exam and I can't think. What's your problem? God's called me into the ministry. What's wrong with that? I'm preparing for the ministry. Yeah, but I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. How do you get out of doing what God wants to do and still be good friends? How do you do that? And out of that unfolded a very, very important conversation. Um, he said to me, well, well, what do you believe? I said, well, what do you mean? What do you believe? Well, you say you're a believer. What do you actually believe? Well, I believe it all. Well, like what? Well, as a Lutheran, I guess I sum it up with the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And, and in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born under Pontius Pilate, <laughs> or something like that, <laughs> crucified, dead and buried, went to hell, got out of there, went to heaven, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Communion Catholic Church or whatever, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the, I believe all of that. Um, he said to me, um, that's really interesting, but have you considered that maybe in the middle of all of what you think you believe, you've really missed the significance of one word? Really? Yeah, well, what would that be? He said, um, that little line you just kind of said, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius. That, that, Let's go back to that one line. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. Now, that's a pretty detailed confession. Maybe one of the reasons you're struggling is because you've got so many details in there, you've kind of, you can't see the forest for the trees. Let's go back to the earliest Christian confession. Before the Apostles' Creed was kind of defined and we had lots of things to believe. There was just one simple thing that people were confronted with when it came to Jesus. The earliest Christian confession was simply this, Jesus Christ is Lord. Earliest Christian confession. Um, Al, do you know what the word Lord actually means? Well, I guess it's a title, you know, Lord Jesus Christ. It's like Mr. Jesus Christ. Only he's just like a really important mister. No, no, that's not really what Lord means. Lord means the master. It means the owner, the one with supreme power and authority, the one who rules, the supreme being, the one who has dominion, who has power, who has authority. Sum it up, he is the boss. In many people's minds, that's a kind of a negative title, you know, where someone who has that much authority is a pretty scary kind of person. But the essence of the gospel, Al, is very simply this, the boss, the king, the ruler, the one who is in charge of everything, that's Jesus. Jesus Christ is Lord. In fact, Al, you need to know, he said to me, that this is the struggle of the ages, I mean, the reality is that um, 
when it comes to struggles, this is the most basic of them all. Who's in charge? You go right back there to the Garden of Eden and the simple challenge of the sonship of Adam and Eve was this. Of all the trees you can have in the garden, they're all yours except for one. The question is, well, who's in charge? And along comes this evil, creepy dude who says, hath God said, you shall not. (laughs) Who does he think he is? Well, he thinks he's the boss. Well, you, you won't die by just breaking his rules. I mean, you'll be like him, in fact. You, the, the essence of the age of who's in charge. Psalm 2 puts it this way. Bible says, why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. I mean, having a boss, that's got to be a bad thing. And because we kind of grow up in uh, times in which uh, democracy and the idea of the proletariat ruling and everybody gets a vote and, and nobody should particularly be in charge. And if, if, if they are, I should have the right to say they can stay there or they can't. Let's break their shackles. Who needs a Lord? Who wants one of them? The one enthroned in heaven laughs. <laughs> the Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. Um, God keeps on thinking he owns stuff. Bible says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the earth and all that dwell therein. God keeps on thinking he really is the supreme authority and then he has bestowed a name upon his son that is above every other name. It's an extraordinary thing. The simple truth is this, there is a God and he has established a king. And you may not like it, but it doesn't change a thing. In fact, the simplest truth you could ever present to a human heart is do you realise who's in charge? Do you realise who is the ultimate boss? And now he doesn't impose himself in this generation or at this time in history in the way that most despots uh, or tyrants do. They force their will down people's throats. We are living in a time when Jesus extends his rule by gracious offer and an opportunity to respond willingly. Um, it is a kingship extended by invitation rather than by oppression. But we need to understand he is Lord. Listen to the, to the consistent testimony of the Bible. Psalm, uh, Luke chapter 2. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a saviour who is Christ the Lord. Romans 10, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
Philippians 2. For this reason also God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 1 Peter. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Always being ready to make a defense to anyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. 1 Corinthians. Yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and we exist for him, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we exist through him. 2 Corinthians. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. The book of Revelation. These will wage war against the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them, because he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those who are with him are called and chosen and faithful. Interesting thing about um, the gospel, the gospel uh, is a covenant. The good news is a covenant between God and man. There's two kinds of covenant. The covenants that we enter into as men and women with one another are usually called sunthikis. Is that good? You, you aren't Greek, but you're Italian, and that's fairly close. Is that, is that a good way to say that? Oh, the... Who's the Greek person here? Can, is Sun Thicky, is that okay? Did that work? Did I do that okay? Who's, who's, where are the Greek people? I need help. Is Sun Thicky okay? Did you mind? Is that okay? Did, was, is anyone offended? Is that Sun Thicky? You don't know what that is? Well, see, you can't be very Greek, mate. Because <laughs> I, I, that was about as good as you're ever going to hear that word, I can promise you, right there. A Sun Thicky is an agreement that you come to by negotiation. I want to sell my motorbike, here it is. Oh yeah, but I don't want to pay that much. And you hassle back and forth till you come to an agreement. It's called a sunthiki. But the gospel is not a sunthiki, it's a diathiki, which means it's come from heaven, the superior, to you and I who are made a little lower than the angels. And you can accept it or you can reject it. You can say, I embrace Jesus Christ as Lord, or you can say, nah, I'm not going to embrace him as Lord, but you don't get to manipulate it or negotiate it. It's something you can either embrace or you can reject, but you can't change it. And here I was as a 19-year-old university student, and I was desperately trying to change the gospel. You see, I was really glad to have Jesus for my saviour, and I loved going to church and doing communion, and I believed in the forgiveness of things, the forgiveness of sins, and I loved the thought of grace and mercy, but obedience, oh, give that a rest. No, no, I didn't sign up for obedience. I, I signed up for the good stuff. Well, the gospel is a dear thicky. You can accept the forgiveness of, that comes through Jesus, or you can reject it, but you can't manipulate the basis on which it is offered. And it is offered on a really clear basis, and that is, Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, here comes the question of the ages. 
Is it possible to marry a dishwasher? Very important question. See, years ago, I got married. Um, imagine if Helen comes down the aisle and she's all dressed up for the wedding and I'm dressed up for the wedding and we meet with, with one another at the altar and the pastor says, repeat your vows. And I say, I, Alan, do take you, Helen, to be my lawful wedded dishwasher. At this point, someone's going to say, hold the phone, Henry. <laughs> what, what did you just say? Well, I need, a, I need a dishwasher. Otherwise, I'll be doing all them dishes myself. <laughs> you can't marry a dishwasher, mate. This is, a wedding is not for you to marry a dishwasher. Oh, sorry. I receive you as my lawful wedded dishwasher, my lawful wedded cook, and my lawful wedded romantic partner. How's that? Are we improving this at all? And the answer is no. You don't come to church to marry a dishwasher. You come to embrace a wife. Now, occasionally, a wife just might wash some dishes. <laughs> if you have been mean enough not to buy her one, and you don't know how to load it yourself. But you can't marry a dishwasher. You embrace a wife and maybe a few dishes will come along with that. <laughs> the most important thing that was ever said to me took place in that university religious centre when a young Baptist boy said to me, Alan, you cannot have Jesus for your saviour if you will not embrace him as your Lord. You can't sign up for salvation. That's not what is offered to you. Maybe sometimes in our, in our preaching we haven't been always that clear about that, and it sounds like I can sign up for a dishwasher. A bit like with Peter, Jesus was washing Peter's feet. And Peter said, no, no, you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus said, well, if I don't get to wash your feet, you have no part in me. And he said, oh, well, you better wash the whole lot then. Well, I don't need to do that because you're clean already, but I'll wash your feet on a daily basis. But you can't marry me as your foot washer. You can't take me on as your, as your uh, dishwasher because I didn't come to you and say, please embrace me as your dishwasher. I came to you as the Lord of the heavens and the earth. The one who could say to his disciple, all authority in heaven and in earth has been given unto me. And you, I, I invite you to embrace me as your Lord. And as your Lord, I'll wash your feet. And I'll even do some dishes, but you cannot marry me as a dishwasher. Uh, Helen crossed that off the list. I don't know that she's ever washed a dish in her entire uh, life. Well, that's not actually true. Stop, stop laughing up the front there, Pastor. That's, um... When I married Helen, marrying a dishwasher was not an option. When she married me, that was certainly not an option. But I did marry a wife. And occasionally she will wash dishes but I can never marry her as a dishwasher. You cannot have Jesus Christ as your saviour 
if you will not embrace him as Lord and that's what my tension was all about. I was sitting in, my, in, that, in that library desperately trying to find a way to be saved and disobedient at the same time. I was trying to find the peace of God in going my own way while my sins were forgiven by the sufferings and the death of Jesus upon the cross and finally a young Baptist boy clarified it for me when he said, no Marion dishwashers buddy, you cannot have Jesus as a saviour if you will not embrace him as Lord and if there is anything Jesus has sought to clarify in his ministry, it is this issue. Listen to it in his own words. Listen to the words of Jesus. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, perform many miracles in your name? And I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Why? Because I was asking you. You were doing your stuff, but I came to you and I asked and you said no. Away from me, you evildoers. In Luke 6, 46, Jesus says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, but do not do the things that I say. That conversation changed my life. I went into that religious center that day troubled. Um, I think in many ways on the verge of an emotional breakdown. And I came out of that religious center that day as clear as a bell. All right, if I can't have salvation and disobedience, I'll take salvation and the lordship of Jesus. In that religious center that day, I realized I could not pull off what I was trying to pull off in here. And at last it became clear and I said, all right, if that's your will, I will do it. Now, I may not like it, but I will certainly do it. Jesus one day said to his critics, he said, tell me what you think of this parable. He said, there was once a man with two sons and the father came to the first and said, son, I want you to go and work in the vineyard today. And the son replied, um, I'd rather not. But afterward, he regretted what he said to his father, changed his mind and decided to go to the vineyard. The father approached the second son and said the same to him. The son replied, Father, I will go and I'll do as you said. But he never did. He didn't go to the vineyard. Tell me now, Jesus said, which of these two sons did the will of his father? They answered him, the first one. And Jesus said, you are right. For many sinners, tax collectors and prostitutes are going into God's kingdom ahead of you John came to show you the path of goodness and righteousness, yet the despised and the outcasts believed him, but you did not. And when you saw them turn, you neither repented of your ways nor believed his words. I am that son. I am the son who sat in university groaning and grieving and trying to figure out and said, I don't want to go, but I went. And I just say to you, I am so glad I did. Let me ask you a question today. Um, if there was a trial to take place, 
and the accusation that was levelled at you was that Jesus Christ is the Lord of this person, could they find enough evidence to convict you of that? Could they find evidence that Jesus Christ is your Lord? Let me ask you this question. If Jesus Christ truly is your Lord, if he really was embraced fully as the king, the boss, the ruler, the ultimate authority in your life, would you handle your money differently? If Jesus Christ was truly to be honoured as Lord, would you handle other people's money differently? If Jesus Christ truly was your Lord, would your sex life have to change? If Jesus Christ truly was the king over your life, would you need to manage your time differently? If Jesus Christ was really your Lord, would you share Jesus more frequently? If Jesus was your Lord, would you love better? Would your wife feel differently about you and herself if Jesus was really your Lord? Would your husband feel differently about himself if Jesus could really be king in your life? Would you be a better mother or a father? Would you be a better grandma or grandpa if Jesus could truly fulfill his role as Lord of your life? Tell me, if Jesus was truly your Lord, would people in your workplace somehow see a difference? I have a friend of mine. He was one of my lecturers in Bible college, in seminary. Dr. Paul Borden. He said, uh, one of the most important moments in my life was um, when I worked in a bank for a period of time. And by the time I came to leave that bank, to go into Bible college, I realized I didn't want anybody to know that I was a Christian because the way I'd related to them didn't bear Christianity, didn't do a Christianity any good. He said, I made a decision that the next time I had a job, I would make sure that I would, I would do my job in that place as a follower of the Lordship of Jesus. And he said, the next time, during my seminary years, I worked in another bank he said, I went there every day with this determination, Christ will be Lord in the way I do my job. He said, when I graduated from seminary, the manager of that bank and the manager of the entire organisation and a number of staff came to watch his graduation because they perceived that by the way he did his job, Jesus Christ was Lord. Let me ask you, if Jesus was truly Lord, would you do things a little differently in the workplace? If Jesus was truly to be allowed to be the king in your life, if you were to do what he said, would you handle your worst enemy differently? If Jesus was allowed to be Lord, would you forgive more quickly? Would you forgive completely? If Jesus was truly to be your Lord, would you stop texting while you're driving? If Jesus was truly Lord of your life, would you stop speeding simply because he's in that car with you and he is the 
Lord of all, and he's asked you to be his ambassador. If Jesus was permitted to be the Lord of your life, would you clean up your room? Could your mother come into your room and perceive that someone who loves Jesus lives in this room? If your mother came in your room, would she be able to find you? (laughs) If Jesus Christ truly was allowed to be Lord in your life, would you resolve your differences more quickly and with greater kindness? If Jesus was allowed to be fully Lord in your life, would you pray more potently? Who would you serve better If this morning in this place you were to become aware that there's an area of my life in which his kingship has not been permitted to extend. Such a simple question. Such a profound impact on the way we do life. I'm only here today because I met a young man in university who could explain to me that it was not possible to marry a dishwasher. And that if I wanted my feet and my life to be washed by the blood of Jesus, it was not enough to believe the creed. It was not enough to believe the Bible texts about the cross and the resurrection. I needed to embrace him as Lord. It is the one question that the gospel puts to you. Who is Lord? If Jesus Christ is Lord, he'll wash your dishes, your feet. He'll wash your life, your mouth. He'll wash all kinds of things because he has come to rule and reign as a gracious saviour, but he rules as saviour in all those who embrace him as Lord. For he is Lord. He, was that the key we're going to go into? Did I just frighten you? Okay, we got that one, okay. For he is Lord. He this guy once who rented a flat Um, came time to pay the rent the owner came to see him at the flat knocked on the door guy opens the door he says ah sweetheart it's the owner he's come to collect the rent sweetie come let's honor the owner you are the owner you are the to this apartment you are the owner 
Every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that you are the owner. <laughs> Shuts the door and goes inside. The owner says, that's very interesting. I've never seen that before in my entire life. He said, well, maybe he intends to pay me two weeks in a row, so I'll go back next week. You'll probably give me a fortnight. He comes back two weeks later, knocks on the door. Open the door. Darling, it's the owner. Bring the kids, all the kids. Here's the wife and the kids, and they begin to sing. You are the owner. You are the own four part harmony owner. You have bought this apartment. You are the owner. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue confess that you are the owner. They go inside. And it says, that's incredible. I have never seen that. Maybe they intend to pay me a full month's rent when I come back next time. Comes back at the end of a month, knocks on the door. Opens the door, sweetheart, it's the owner. Bring the kids, bring the animals and bring out the quartet that we've hired and out they come, a whole band, a whole orchestra, six or eight voices backing them and they start the song, you are the owner. There comes a point when he says, shut up and show me the money. Singing is not enough. Thank you for the song. Thank you for the orchestra. Thank you for the band. I appreciate that. But if I am really your Lord, if I really own this apartment, show me the money. It impacts practically at every level. Let's just stand together, shall we? For you are Lord. You. And I want to tell you one of the most wonderful things you can ever hear is that God loves to forgive. But He does it as you embrace His Son who died to make forgiveness possible. You can't marry a foot washer. You can't marry a dishwasher. But you can marry a Lord. You can embrace the Lord. 